What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 64 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. And you can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all of my work at 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S. And you can find our Twitter handle on, on there as well, at 2QBs. Back on the show, I think you're tying Sal now. Like, you still have a ways to go to catch up with Josh Lake, but... Anthony, you've tied Sal for most appearances on the podcast. It's Anthony Amico at Amixed on Twitter of RotoViz, 2QBs, Number Fire, Roster Coach, Fantasy Insiders, and Draft Consultants. Welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you back. Oh, it's good to be back. I'm pretty pumped that I'm on the uh, I'm on the top appearances list here. I, I love being on this show. I mean, I I'm no like Evan Silva or anything. Like I, I you know, I've, but I've been on some shows, and uh, I, this is probably my favorite. I, I really just I like talking to you, Greg. I love being here, and I'm I'm, I'm all about two QBs. So this is this is a good times for me. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, and um, I mean I, I like having you on because you know your stuff when it comes to these lower tier QBs. Some of your off season work on you know the rookie QBs going into the draft class, like that's some of our our best content at the site, and I learn a lot from you every year just on that tip you know looking forward to to college players coming into the nfl because i don't watch any college like i i admit that on the show I'm, I'm not a college guy i like the nfl and i only really have time for the nfl so the stuff you do on that end really benefits me and to get you on the on the podcast itself to not only talk about that but to talk about what is happening day to day in the nfl is great and i don't know man with that said let's let's get into the week 12 recap we'll uh, start with qb news as we normally do Let's go to Denver first, and when I put this on the show notes, it was a little bit more nebulous, but Paxton Lynch has a high ankle sprain. He's going to be out two to four weeks. He was listed as day-to-day for a little while, and so maybe there might have been a question whether him or Trevor Simeon or Brock Osweiler was going to start in week 13, but now I think we can pretty safely say that it's going to be Simeon. Do you have a strong opinion on Simeon one way or the other? Like, to me, He's always been their best quarterback. They just he just that none of their quarterbacks are good, so they decided to kind of you know flip around and see if they could do better than him. It, it, it always seemed foolish to me, but here we are back at Trevor Simeon, right? Yeah, I mean, I, again, he's not he's not a stud by any means, but he has been the the most sure guy that they've had. I mean, we've seen enough from Brock Osweiler. No, he stinks. And the fact that we haven't gotten to see much of Paxton Lynch, and then we get. You know, a small glimpse of him being pretty bad, and then he's hurt again. Like I don't know. Like the Broncos, eventually, you're probably gonna have to cut cut ties with all these guys. But it's pretty clear to me that Simeon's the best one they have. Okay. Do you have any interest in using him going forward? Because the schedule is pretty decent. He is at Miami in Week 13. Then he has the Jets at home. Then he's at Indy and at Washington to close out the season in the fantasy playoffs. None of those teams are super imposing defenses. I mean, Washington's probably the worst matchup there. Uh, I mean, hopefully by week 16, you probably have a better option figured out. But if you're desperate, could could you see starting semi in the rest of the way? Yeah, I can totally get on board with that. Like you said, the schedule is, is the most important thing to me. I think that quarterback is really, really heavily dependent on matchup, That particularly that really juicy spot against Indy in week 15. I think that that's... A matchup you want to take advantage of. Uh, Simeon definitely has a low floor, and I think particularly this year with how the offensive line has played and, and how the run game has been, the, the floor has been as low as ever. But he still has that ceiling. He still has that opportunity to throw for like 300 yards and three touchdowns. He's, you know, he's still throwing to two of the best guys in the game in uh, DT and Emmanuel Sanders. So I, I think uh, it's certainly not for the faint of heart, but I think that you have to be willing to use Simeon in these upcoming weeks. 
And shifting gears here, but going to another QB who has a somewhat appealing schedule going forward, I want to talk about Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. He led them to an upset win over you know the Chiefs in Kansas City at Arrowhead. He's already been named the starter for Week 13, as if as if there was ever any doubt who their best quarterback was, right? Do you think he's going to remain the starter through Week 16? I I, I want I want to talk a little bit in depth here about how we should handicap Tyrod Taylor's availability for the fantasy playoffs because there's always going to be some chance that they're going to go back to Nathan Peterman because clearly that's what they've wanted to do all season and Tyrod's play has just kind of prevented them from doing that. Do you think he holds on to the gig for the rest of the year? And how should fantasy owners approach that, you know, looking ahead to future weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to hold on to it. The Bills are still in playoff contention. Uh, they do play the Patriots twice down the stretch here. So maybe that takes them out of it. Uh, maybe, you know, week 16, 17, that range. We see Peterman again if the Bills are eliminated from playoff contention. But the, the idea of him being benched for anything other than just a speculative look at Peterman is nonsensical to me. And, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, I think we'll look right back to that Charger game and, and point to it because, I mean, Peterman just looked terrible. And, and, you know, whatever. Maybe he ends up being decent one day, but he was just way, way, way overwhelmed in that start. And I, and I love Tyrod. I mean, I think that he's in a really good spot. Weeks 13 to 16, Patriots, Colts, Dolphins, Patriots. All those teams are 27th or worse in Football Outsiders past DVOA. So, you know, these are spots that Tyrod can absolutely smash. I know that three of them are division games, and sometimes those games get crazy. But, I mean, Taylor has already shown that he can do it on the ground, obviously. He's rushed for a few touchdowns. and I just really like what he provides from a floor and ceiling standpoint week to week. Insurance-wise, you probably have to own Peterman just in case they do go back to him. I don't know really how comfortable you'd feel starting him in the fantasy playoffs, but... Having a quarterback in the two-quarterback league is better than not having one. So uh, even though it wasn't that weak, if you could throw up negative points. But I, I'm probably just holding on to Peterman. I mean, it's really difficult, I think, at this point in the year to find a quarterback in the wa- on the waiver wire in a two-quarterback format. Maybe uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is still unowned, and we'll talk about him in a moment. But I, I think Peterman's probably your best bet if you're a Tyrod owner. Yeah, I, I actually... I don't know. I don't even think you necessarily need Peterman at this point because it's not like we're dealing with buys anymore, right? If you have Tyrod Taylor and any two other quarterbacks, you're probably going to be okay. I don't I don't think you necessarily need to hold Peterman unless Tyrod is one of your only two, you know, starting commodities at the quarterback position. I have a little bit of skepticism about those New England matchups being good for quarterbacks. I mean, I know the the football outsiders numbers, you know, speak to that being a good matchup, but those do look at the entire season of play, and New England has been a lot better over the past few weeks, and, and I'll talk more about that later in the show. So so actually, let's get back to Garoppolo, like you mentioned, and C.J. Bethard, uh, or Bethard, I still can never pronounce that dude's name correctly the first time. He didn't he didn't play very well against uh, the Seahawks. He injured his knee. I think he had some other, like a shoulder injury as well late in that game. I think it's a pretty safe bet to say that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to start Week 13 for the Niners. Do you assume the same thing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I guess nothing would kind of surprise me given how they've handled this situation so far. But Bathard just really hasn't been good. Uh, less than six yards per attempt in three of his last four games. Uh, the only good start of the year really came against the Giants, uh, who have been awful all year defensively. Um, Bathard has uh, three touchdowns and five interceptions over his last four, so I think it's just time. Uh, I know that they 
have mentioned that they want to just franchise tag uh, Garoppolo next year and get a look at him over a full season, but I think the evaluation period needs to start now. It, it might as well. Like It doesn't make sense for them to just not play him and then franchise him because then you could be throwing away a lot of money if he's not good. You might as well get some sort of look at him this year, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, no matter how well he plays, they can still franchise tag him. And if they get a look at him over four or five games and they're like, eh, maybe this guy isn't that good, they can just let him walk. So I, it's kind of like a zero-risk move for me. Yeah, I think the only thing I would be worried about with Garoppolo moving forward are those matchups towards the end of the season against Jacksonville and Los Angeles, the, the Rams in weeks 16 and 17. If, if you do believe he's your franchise quarterback going forward, you might want to get a look at him this week against Chicago and then the next two weeks against Houston and Tennessee, some defenses that aren't quite as imposing from a pass rush perspective. And then, I mean, maybe Beathard is healthy enough in week 16 to get back in there and you throw him to the Wolves against Jacksonville. And then again in week 17 against Aaron Donald and the Rams. I, I don't think that front offices necessarily think that way. They always want to try to present, you know, the roster of the team that is most likely to win some games uh, or win any, you know, given game. So I, I don't think we'll necessarily see them present it as that sort of a black and white issue is like, oh, we're not playing Garoppolo because we don't want him to get hurt here. But I would love to see them take that sort of approach, just a, a concession to the fact that they are playing for next year. They don't want this guy to get hurt, but we'll see how it goes. Let's turn to some other positions here and let's start with running backs. I want to go to the Dolphins here. Damian Williams uh, injured his shoulder. And I, I don't know, like this is such a weird backfield. If you own Kenyon Drake, are you confident starting him against Denver in week 13? Denver has been very good against the run. And even if you don't want to start him there, how how about further down the line against New England, Buffalo, and Kansas City in the fantasy playoffs? Like Drake is not a guy who necessarily profiles us in every down back. And I'm worried that the Dolphins just aren't going to use him like that. I, I have crazy man love for Kenyon Drake. Uh-oh. Uh, so that, that's what I'm bringing to the program today. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I just think that the volume opportunity is really high here, and there's not really any other option, I think, for them on the roster. You know, in the four games since they traded Jay uh, Drake and Damian Williams have combined for 16.5 carries and 7.25 targets per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that volume, I think even if we were to say maybe Drake doesn't get all that work on the ground, uh, he has proved, you know, even dating back to college, that he is a capable pass catcher. So I think that that receiving volume alone gives him a pretty decent floor. That's uh, the primary reason why I think you can play him against a team like Denver. Uh, and I think that that schedule gives him a shot to be a, a real difference maker in the playoffs. Uh, all three uh, of those playoff matchups, New England, Buffalo, KC, all 29th are wor- worse in rush DVOA. Uh, they've all experienced uh, you know, some form of issue defending the running back in the passing game this year. Uh, so I, I just think that Drake is, is he flashy? I, I guess not. I mean, he's not like a super athlete or anything. But I just think that he is good enough to get it done. And I, I really, I don't see the other back on this roster that's going to compete for touches. Well, I've got a couple leagues where, or I have one league, I should say, where I have a, uh... A Ryan Matthews share that's just been stagnating all year, and I it's it's the type of league where you don't make any pickups or cuts. You're just stuck with the roster you draft, but you still have to you know make 
lineup moves every every year. So hey, hey Dolphins, maybe maybe send a little uh, letter to Ryan Matthews' agent, please, for me. I, I, <laughs> uh, man, that that was a wasted pick. Talk about a, a bad decision there on my part. But um, let's let's move on here. Let's get to Seattle. And Pete Carroll is saying that Mike Davis is going to play in Week 13. Davis looked good before he got hurt back in Week 11. But I would still rather own J.D. McKissick. He seems like the guy who fits what they're doing the best, you know, with, uh, you know, kind of Russell Wilson just owning that offense and being, you know, the catalyst that drives everything, passing the ball, moving out of the pocket. McKissick seems to fit with that the best, and he's the only running back there I'm really interested in. But what about you? Is Mike Davis on your radar now? Uh, I mean, he's kind of on the radar, but I definitely prefer McKissick just because he's catching the ball and, I think that this team, like you said, you know, runs through Russell Wilson. I don't, I don't think that them running the football is <laughs> important to them. I don't think it should be, you know, and I think that as long as games remain close, they're going to throw, and that means the kid is on the field. Uh, you know, this backfield for me overall is not something I'm really looking uh, to, to use. I don't want to start McKissick, even though he's my favorite guy there. He really is going to take an injury to one of these other guys or you know, even just them, I guess, being like a healthy scratch. Uh, for them to enter my lineup. So in Tampa Bay, we've got kind of a similar situation where none of the running backs have really separated themselves as the clear-cut guy you want to own and also use in fantasy. Doug Martin just suffered a concussion in Week 12. Jaquiz Rogers got the most backup carries, uh, eight carries for 31 yards rushing, one target or one catch for six yards on two targets. But Peyton Barber was the guy they used at the goal line: five carries, seven yards, two rushing TDs. Charles Sims remains the primary receiver out of the backfield. Three catches on five targets for 26 yards in Week 12. Only one carry for three yards rushing. How are you approaching that backfield going forward? Is there somebody there you want to own? Uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, I feel I feel very similar to the Seattle situation. You know, Martin was already extremely touchdown dependent. He has 10 points or less in every game uh, where he hasn't scored this year. Uh, now the work is being split up probably between a few guys, like you mentioned. So I, for me, it's just not really worth investing in. Yeah, I, I agree. It's This is a weird time in the fantasy season, though, because we talked about this a little bit on the last show with Ben Gretsch. The running back situations like this, the ones that are more complicated, more split up, are ones that you kind of do just want to get away from altogether. But if you don't have the stud running backs, the guys who you do want to play week in, week out, you might have to rely on a guy like Peyton Barber or Doug Martin if he was healthy, right? Like, how do you approach your roster at this time of year with that sort of stuff in mind? Are you just ignoring teams like Seattle and Tampa Bay altogether and just using those roster spots on other positions, even if you don't, even if you need the running back help? Or do you kind of take a flyer on a guy like Peyton Barber or Jaquiz Rogers and hope that they hit? What, what's your approach? I'm probably a lot more likely to invest in the high leverage backups. And at this point of the year, I'm also looking to handcuff some of the guys that, that I own. So I'm trying to use my bench spots. Uh, you know, if I have like defenses or kickers or something and I want to plan ahead, maybe I'll, I'll pick up an extra couple of those. But in terms of like the skill guys, I'm, I'm really trying to get, I'm more interested in like the Austin Ecklers of the world. Um, I'm interested in, uh, you know, the guys who, May have some some role now, but if the starter gets hurt, all of a sudden, you know, we know that they're going to be locked into a heavy workload. I, I, the guys like Barber, the guys like Jaquiz, like 
I don't really think that they're going to be weak winners for me. Uh, maybe they could. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, I just don't think that those are the guys. Like, I, I would just be better off playing whoever I already have on my bench uh, over playing someone like that because I just don't think the ceiling is there. Yeah, I can see that. And I'm kind of the same way. I, I would generally avoid these sorts of backfields unless I was truly desperate and I might actually have to start a guy like McKissick. And even he's the type of player who, you know, if you're in a standard league, basically has no value. Like, if you're not getting points for receptions, you can just kind of cross him off. You know, Charles Sims the same way. I mean, in a standard league, Peyton Barber probably has more appeal for that sort of reason. Like, if he's being used on the goal line and he's going to, you know, see those random touchdowns, you know, you can play touchdown bingo with him and be like, oh, shit, I, I lucked into a TD with Peyton Barber this week. Like, that's okay. But I don't like to chase that stuff if I don't have to. I still want to chase actual volume of touches over anything else. And let's try to apply that to the receiver position in Buffalo. Uh, it's been reported, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm actually going to credit the source on this one. Uh, Jay Skursky uh, has reported that Kelvin Benjamin has a torn meniscus. The Bills have confirmed this. I was really not interested in Zay Jones because I figured Kelvin Benjamin would be back at some point. Jordan Matthews was going to get healthier and Charles Clay is going to get healthier. But now that we know that Benjamin is gone for a while, most likely, how do you rank Zay Jones, Clay, Jordan Matthews, and those other Bills receiving options rest of the season? Because I have to admit, Jones looked better than I thought, or, or better than my, you know, evaluation of him before Week 12 was, you know, like in terms of rankings and whatnot. Yeah, I definitely like Zay the most out of those guys. He's got 24 targets in his last three games. The efficiency, you know, has been an issue all year, especially with regards to his catch rate, but... I just think he's going to come around. I thought that he was starting to really build some momentum before he got hurt against the Jets a few weeks ago. I think that kind of stunted him. You know, then he comes back to a, a team that just traded for a receiver. Uh, but I think I still believe in Zay. I mean, I know that he is. I don't know. I, I guess he's like kind of debated on the interwebs, like whether or not he was a good prospect. But I don't know. He's a good athlete. He, he posted the good numbers. Like. I'm not going to just like dead the guy after like eight career games. So I, I, I'm still in on him. Uh, Clay is second and he was awesome when the year started, but the target volume just hasn't been there. I feel like they've done nothing but try to get guys in there so that he didn't have to take as big of a load. So that's a, a little bit of a flag for me, but obviously he has, you know, some good rapport with Tyrod. You know, Jordan Matthews is just like a tragedy to me because he should be the first option. Like I still believe that he's good. You know, I think that he got in, you know, obviously getting into onto the team late is never a good thing. Uh, then he started the year injured, then he came back, then he was hurt again. Like, I just feel like he hasn't really had a chance to settle in. I, I love the talent, but he's just, he's not getting any love in this offense. So he's, he has to be last for me out of those three. Yeah, this is the type of time of year, though, where you can look at a guy like Jordan Matthews and start to think about next season and how potentially undervalued he might be like if, if ADP from MFL 10 starts to come in and you know April May June with him as you know a I don't know a 13th round pick you can think back to that like like you said that lack of continuity the fact that he got there late and never really was able to acclimate to that offense and the team and maybe because of that you know with this an offseason under his belt uh, you know, and a full season under his belt in terms of studying the playbook and whatnot. Like he could be a guy who's undervalued next year. Whether or not that's going to start to translate here at the end of the season is is really tough to say. Especially with 
you know, the cloud of Nathan Peterman kind of hanging over that offense. Uh, let's go to Carolina next and talk about Greg Olson. He aggravated his foot injury in week 12. Is it time to get back on the Ed Dixon bandwagon? And how much does this new injury to Greg Olson affect Cam Newton's fantasy value going forward? Because he's losing a lot of receivers. Yeah, I mean, does Ed Dixon have a bandwagon? Is that? <laughs> it might that just be me. It might just be me. <laughs> I am, I am struck unaware. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that, I don't think Dixon is really like a difference maker. Obviously, if you are someone who streams tight end frequently, I certainly you can pick up Dixon. He, he scored a handful of touchdowns this year. I, I think that he's certainly viable, but I'm, I'm not going crazy. Uh, I think that losing Olsen probably hurts Cam Newton's floor, but his best game of the year did come without him. And I, I just still think there's big-time upside here. He's back to rushing. He just ran for another touchdown against the Jets. I'm down the stretch here for fantasy. You've got Saints, Vikings, Packers, and Bucks. That's a really, really nice schedule, uh, particularly those last two games in the fantasy playoffs, weeks 15 and 16. I mean, those are those are money matchups. So I think he's going to be fine, and I, I think that you want to, uh, you definitely want to keep jamming him in there down the stretch here. Yeah, I agree with you. The point about the rushing is the key the fact that he's lost so many receivers means that he might just end up running the ball more. And if that happens, that's only really good for his fantasy value. It may not be good for the Panthers. It may not be good for Cam Newton's long-term health. But, yeah, I, I think that he's a guy who you don't have to worry about too much, despite the fact that he's losing arguably his top receiving option. In terms of Ed Dixon, like I, I, I am the bandwagon driver on this one, not because I want to be, but because I am the type of player who streams tight ends more often than I don't, you know, I don't usually pay up for the position. And so like, especially in a format like the Scott fishbowl, where because of the tight end premium scoring, everybody was all about tight ends early. Like the only guy I paid up for was Tyler Eifert. And, you know, his season's been over for a long time. I was relying a lot on guys like Ed Dixon and I, I don't know. I could see him still being relevant here. If only because they've lost so many other weapons. Like when you're debating between Ed Dixon and, and Curtis Samuel, that's one thing, but Curtis Samuel's not there anymore. When you're debating between Ed Dixon and Russell Shepard, then maybe Dixon looks a little more appealing in that light. I'm not sure. It'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. Now, speaking of bargain basement tight ends, we got to talk about Ricky Seals-Jones. Somehow staying relevant in Week 12, after a huge Week 11, he had four catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown in Week 12. Do you think he can keep this up? It seems like Jermaine Gresham is out as the receiving tight end there in Arizona. Yeah, I, I am buying this. I, I'm buying Ricky Seals-Jones. I, I can't believe that I'm saying this. Like, this is a I can't guy believe who, we're talking about him. I know. This, this is a guy who, like, I was recommending as, like, a preseason DFS play in, like, August. Like, <laughs> And now he's making plays in real football games. Like, it's crazy to me. But he's already had two of the 16 best games from a rookie tight end. In the last five seasons, uh, the game that he had in Week 12 was better than any game Evan Ingram's had all year. So, I mean, the production, I think that we're forgetting. Like, when we're saying, oh, maybe this is a fluke. I mean, you know, once is, what did I say? Once is a coincidence, twice is a trend. Like, I, to be doing this as a rookie tight end after changing positions is pretty impressive to me. Uh, and, you know, speak, he was a receiver in college, so the, the receiving ability is is evident. Awesome athletic profile, really comparable to Kelvin Benjamin uh, if he had stayed as a receiver. But unlike Benjamin, 
understanding his rightful place in the hierarchy <laughs> at tight end. Um, I, his I, best. I, at, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say I just I love the Kelvin Benjamin tight end narrative. That is just one of my all time favorites. So please continue. <laughs> his best athletic comparable on mock draftable was Jermichael Finley. Uh, that's kind of eye opening to me. Obviously, Finley did it with Aaron Rodgers when he was successful. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, I, heaven forbid that Blaine Gabbert becomes that good. But I just think that this is this is an opportunity that we get like once or twice a year to grab onto something that's happening that's awesome. And it, it's possible that he fades off in the sunset. It's possible that like he never hears from this guy again. You know, we draft him or we pick him up, and he does nothing the rest of the year. But I just don't want to miss out on this. I, I think that it's, I think that there is actual credence to the fact that he could be a talented football player and particularly in dynasty, I'm looking to just scoop him up here where I can and, you know, maybe he ends up being a good player. And if not, like I haven't spent anything to acquire him. Yeah. And the schedule for him lines up really nice going forward. I mean, the Rams this week aren't ideal. But after that, he gets Tennessee, Washington, and, and the New York Giants. And those are three very good tight end matchups. Tennessee just got let up by Jack Doyle. Washington and New York have been giving up a ton of points to tight ends all season. It's not like anyone beyond Larry Fitzgerald in that receiving game is has been all that great. Or, and, and definitely none of those guys have been consistent. The fact that we've seen this from Ricky Seals-Jones in two straight weeks, I don't know. I'm buying it, too. Like I don't necessarily know how much I want to start him over more established guys. Like if I'm an owner who owns Austin Safarian Jenkins, like I don't know if I could start him over ASJ, but I could definitely start him over, you know, the Ed Dixon types that we were just talking about. Um, Where does he kind of rank for you in that hierarchy of tight ends? Wow. That's a really good question. I mean, I I think that he is, I mean, am I, am I crazy if I say he's like a low end tight end one? Like I just don't, Tight end's not really that impressive of a position to me. Like, I, I think if we look at, like, the overall scoring this year, you know, you got your, your mega studs, like the Ertz, Gronk, Kelsey tier. But, like, after that, it kind of, you know, it really tapers off to me. And I think that once you start getting down to, like, probably, like, right past Jack Doyle, once you start talking about, like, Cameron Braid, Jared Cook, Jason Witten, like, those guys who are kind of just boring, sure, like, let's slot, let's slot Ricky Seals-Jones in there, you know, because he does have the good matchups, like you said. You know, he has been producing, and, and maybe he is good. Like, I, I just think that, I don't know, I think to win a fantasy championship, you have to want to take a couple risks, and I think that RSJ, who I will now, you know, call him forever, that is one of those risks that's worth taking. Yeah, I, I think that there are really only five to maybe seven or eight tight ends I really trust week to week. You got Gronk, Kelsey, Ertz, Graham, Ingram, despite the fact that, like you said, Ricky Seals-Jones just did something that Evan Ingram hasn't done all year. Then maybe guys like Delaney Walker, Kyle Rudolph. And even then, like I could start to make the case based on week-to-week matchups for RSJ, who I'm totally stealing that. That's great. But yeah, beyond that, Cameron Bray, Jack Doyle, Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper, Jason Witten, like... Why can't he be as good as those guys? Those guys aren't anything special at this point. They're they're tight ends. The, the the position itself is inherently high variance. It's inherently fluky. You're gonna have you know spiked weeks here and there with touchdowns, but these guys just don't get targeted quite as often as we'd like to see for them to be regular fantasy producers. And so once you get past that top five, top six, whatever you want to call it, he's got to be in the discussion, right? Uh, yeah, and dare I say that. This Arizona offense actually looks 
pretty good with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback. I mean, scoring 27 points against Jacksonville is no easy feat. You know, the Jags really haven't done that for most of the year. So I'm, I'm trying to buy this team. Like, I don't know. This is like the, this is like the Bruce Arians, like rerun squad. And I'm just, I'm just buying every second. Like, I just want a piece of it. Yeah. So, I mean, that actually segues really well into our awards for week 12. Uh, let's go to the quarterback boom of the week. And this is where we pick the quarterback that we believe outperformed our expectations the most. And you might be going the same way as me, but for me, it was Blaine Gabbert against the Jaguars. He didn't do anything amazing. He finished his QB 14 in a week that was actually pretty high scoring for quarterbacks, but he scored 17.3 fantasy points. But this is the most that any quarterback has scored against the Jags all season. The previous best against them was 15.3 fantasy points. That was back in week 10 from Phillip Rivers. And just for some additional context here, the Jags allow an average weekly finish of QB 23.8. So basically the QB 24 every week against the Jaguars uh, with an average of 8.32 points per game allowed to quarterbacks. So Blaine Gabbert smashed both of those numbers with his QB 14 finish and 17 points. Was there someone else for you that exceeded your expectations more than Gabbert? Yeah, I mean, Gabbert was probably the guy until last night just because... I love Brett Hundley. I, I live for this. I live for Hundley time. But, like, I did not expect him to go into Pittsburgh as a huge underdog in prime time and, and post a QB one week. I mean, the thing that I thought was most impressive about his performance is that he didn't really do it with his legs. He had just one carry for six yards. Uh, the pass efficiency was just really awesome. You know, long touchdowns to Devontae and Jamal Williams. You know, maybe a little fluky in that sense, but I just think that uh, you know, completely unexpected. Do you think maybe we were overrating the Steelers' defense to some extent? I, I feel like they've slipped in recent weeks. They've given up four straight top 15 finishes to quarterbacks. In that span, they've allowed about 18 points per game to QBs. And now with Ryan Shazier getting dinged up in that game, like I don't, I can't remember if he returned or if he's going to be okay for Week 13. But he, he's had trouble staying healthy his whole career. I, I'm wondering. Do we need to reevaluate how we approach the Steelers matchup for opposing quarterbacks going forward? I think there's definitely something to that. I also think that when Pittsburgh is scoring, you know, that's that's allowing other teams to to be on the field more and uh, be a little more aggressive. So, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, they're trying to score. So I I don't know. I mean, this is, this might be like your classic, you know, a team that's that's good at stopping the run and isn't that good, you know, or isn't as good as advertised against the pass. I mean. At home, they, they smashed the last two weeks. They scored 31 and 40 points, and I just think when you do that, that you know forces quarterbacks to, to throw more. And if some of those guys are, are banged up, maybe they aren't as good at, at stopping them. They kind of just go in a bend and don't break mode. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something that I'm going to keep my eye on uh, as we get down the stretch here. So you've talked about how much you like Brett Hundley. How do you feel about him going forward here? Because he's got a pretty decent schedule next two weeks, especially Tampa Bay and Cleveland. After that, he gets Carolina and Minnesota, which are both tougher matchups. Do you have, I mean, do you have high hopes for him going forward? Do you think he's going to, you know, continue this? Because he's steadily improved since taking over as the starter. Yeah, I mean, I I own, to no one's surprise, I own him in, in my two quarterback leagues. And I think... uh I think I'm going to do my best to start him the next couple of weeks. I mean, my other, I would say in my, in my main league, my other quarterbacks right now are Keenum and Goff. And those guys have been good also, but 
Like I would probably, I, I might start him over one of those guys in like a tougher matchup. And Goff plays Arizona. I think that's a little tougher. You know, he plays Arizona Philly the next two weeks. Like I could maybe get behind playing Hunley over Jared Goff, even though he's been obviously much better just because I think that matchup just drives so much of the production. Yeah, I really blew it. In Week 12, I actually started C.J. Beathard over Hundley in one of my leagues, just using the matchups as justification. You know, Hundley going on the road against Pittsburgh, who I thought was a good team. Beathard playing against Seattle at home. You know, Seattle losing so many players on defense. I figured, oh, you know, he's been a pretty viable fantasy starter for every week he's played. Like, even if the Niners weren't winning, you know, with his between his legs and the occasional big splash play through the air, he was putting up points. And I, I thought that was kind of a no-brainer. And in hindsight, man, I boy, did I blow that one. But, yeah, I mean, what can you do? Uh, we should note a couple other quarterbacks who performed well in Week 12. Uh, other guys who probably deserve some mention here. Case Keenum, uh, the QB3 pending Monday Night Football, 27 points at Detroit. Uh, McCown against Carolina, QB4 with 25 points. Blake Bortles on the road at Arizona. You just mentioned uh, the Cardinals being a tough matchup for quarterbacks. And they were that against Bortles on uh, like through the air but he ended up with six carries for 62 yards and two rushing touchdowns so that kind of saved his day do you think there's something to that against arizona do you think it's something that other teams are going to try to exploit or is just kind of a is this just one week sample of noise konami bortles man can't stop him uh <laughs> i mean i just it's very possible that this is something that some teams can exploit i mean from what i've from what i was following of that game those were you know, read option plays. So maybe the Arizona defensive ends are very aggressive, and that's something that future teams can take advantage of. Uh, they do have the Titans in two weeks, so I'd be kind of interested to see how that plays out with Mariota. But, I mean, you know, Goff's not really going to run. Neither is Kirk Cousins. Uh, neither is Eli. Unlike these zone replays. So uh, it may not be, even if it's not, like, truly noise, it may just not be something exploitable for a lot of the rest of their schedule. The quarterbacks they're facing are going to dictate a lot of that stuff. The last guy I want to give a shout-out to is Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, again, pending Monday Night Football, he's the QB 10 so far, a little over 20 fantasy points. And he's kind of settled in as a, as a quality option here. I mean, I don't know how excited we are to use him going forward because his matchups, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think his matchups are a little tough. Yeah, he's got a lot of, of tough looks coming up. He's on the road against the Chargers this week. Uh, that's a tough one. Then he gets Green Bay, which isn't so bad, but then he plays Baltimore and Chicago in weeks 15 and 16. It, I, I'm not really actively looking to get Kaiser into my lineup, except for maybe in that Green Bay matchup, but he's been good the past couple weeks, or, or better than expected, and I think that we should you know, give him a little credit there because, in general, we've we've had to, I don't know, limit our expectations for him so far this season. Do you have any thoughts on Kaiser? Yeah, I mean, let's just enjoy the last, uh, you know, four or five starts of his career here before <laughs> before Baker Mayfield comes in next year and cleans up. Oh, you're so savage. That was just mean. <laughs> let's get to uh, let's get to our bust of the week. If we're going to be mean, let's let's talk about the quarterbacks who underperformed our expectations in Week 12. Uh, who was the bust for you, Anthony? I mean, Marcus Mariota, man. What are you doing? Like the Colts, the Colts are like the primo matchup. This year, like everyone has done well against them. Even, you know, Andy Dalton has done well against the Colts. But 184 yards, one touchdown, two picks. And, you know, to top it all off, basically no rushing production. Like he played, he played really bad. And I know Rashard Matthews didn't play, but you still have Corey Davis. You still have Delaney Walker who played really well. Like 
did not expect this from Mariota and overall very disappointed. Yeah, he was my pick as well. And I do think that missing Richard Matthews counts for something, but this was the first week all seasons that the Colts have held the opposing quarterback outside the top 24 at the position. It's only the second time they've held the opposing quarterback under 14 fantasy points. And the previous time was in week nine uh, with Tom Savage uh, when he only managed about 11 fantasy points. So when you perform worse than Tom Savage against a bad defense, you're basically a lock for the bust of the week, in my opinion. Uh, so I agree that it's Mariota, but I want to talk to you about the other side of the ball and Jacoby Brissett. He's a guy I tabbed last week as a potential streamer, and he really didn't do much against Tennessee. I'm not too surprised by that because Brissett definitely isn't the most talented guy. We know he's not a, an amazing quarterback, but he's been pretty good from a fantasy perspective. I wanted to ask you more about this idea that Joe Goodbury has popularized with uh, Andy Dalton in terms of common opponents and teams that you face more often than others. Essentially, Andy Dalton tends to play worse against teams who the Bengals play more often. So that is to say, like if, you, if, if your team has seen Dalton more, or at least seen the Bengals' offense led by Dalton more, the easier it becomes to scheme against them and game plan against them. I, I don't think we can do any you know, research on the fly here during the podcast, but do you think there's something to that common opponent theory for other quarterbacks, particularly like within divisions? Because I, I feel like we hear about this all the time. There are these narratives surrounding certain divisions. Like, so, I mean, Andy, Andy Dalton's division is one of those, you know, the, the AFC North with, with all those teams kind of beating up on each other. Are, are we potentially seeing something similar here in the AFC South where, these teams, because they have played each other so often, even if maybe they haven't seen Brissett all that much, they just know how to game plan against the other the other players on that team, like the other you know playmakers there, the wide receivers and running backs. Like I, I don't know, like I'm I'm kind of just spitballing here, but in terms of divisional games where where the two teams are more familiar with each other, does that impact your analysis at all? And if so, how? Yeah, so, I mean, real quick, like, the, the whole common opponents thing is something that I've wanted to research, like, for a really long time. But I feel like I just need, like, you need, like, a team of people. Like, it's just way too much data for, like, one person. That's an off-season project, for sure. Yeah, 100%. But I definitely think that, like, particularly in the division, there's something to it. Because, you know, you're guaranteed to see those teams twice a year. Chances are, if your quarterback is any good, you know, you're going to develop, you know, many, many years of... You know, seeing these guys and understanding their tendencies and knowing where they've win and all that stuff. So I, I think that there's definitely something to that. Uh, I'm not positive that that is what's in play here with the Colts just because yeah, I think as good as he has been, and I, I think that Brissett has, has really, really blown away expectations in his real his first full year as a starter. Like I, I just, he's still, Jacoby Brissett, like he's still someone who had, you know, really below average college numbers. Uh, he's still someone who was basically a practice squad quarterback up until, you know, he had a, a, a monster preseason finale. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just possible that that these games, I think, are just going to happen for a guy like Brissett. I mean, even if even if like long term he ends up being a good player and, and a solid starter, like just to come from where he's come from and and be in his first year as a starter i just think these games are going to happen so how about on the other side of the ball though with Mariota and the titans because i think against the colts 
earlier in the season, he didn't perform all that well either. That was week six. Yeah, he only posted about 14 fantasy points. He was the QB 13 that week, but QB scoring in week six was very poor. Is there maybe something to Mariota against the Colts that we can carry over to next season, you think? Mm, I don't know. It's possible. But Mariota, just has, Mariota hasn't been that good that you should hear either. I mean, he's got no, just based on uh, standard ESPN scoring, he has no games of 20 points this year, which which is like mind-boggling to me because he was great last year. But, yeah, I don't know. Like Mariota just hasn't had it. Um yeah, it's, it's been mostly over. touchdowns, I think. I think I, I saw somebody tweeting about this earlier. I want to say it was J.J. Zacharyson uh, at late round QB, but I mm, I can't remember for sure. But basically showing yards per attempt the same, or essentially the same for the past three seasons, compared to uh, a touchdown rate that was drastically worse this year. And we know that that's a little fluky. So maybe he's going to get better down the stretch. I, I mean, do you have higher expectations for him going forward? He gets... Houston, Arizona, San Francisco, and the Rams uh, over the last four fantasy-relevant weeks. I mean, I always have high expectations for Marcus Mariota. That's that's like that's basically my adopted son at quarterback. <laughs> just, um, just my son. <laughs> yeah, but like I mean, so I, I just looked this up because I was I really interested by that point. And you're right, like 7.4 yards per attempt this year, 7.6 last year, 7.6 as a rookie. So he's like right on. He's right on pace there. It's 100% the touchdown rate, 5.1, 5.8, and 2.9 this year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe this is a guy that's due for some uh, hashtag regression here down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, the the question we have to ask ourselves is how much of the how much of his touchdown rate for the first two seasons of his career might have been overperformance, right? Because the truth might lie somewhere in the middle. Like just because he had a similar touchdown rate for his first two years doesn't necessarily mean that that's what he is and and evidenced by the fact that this year he hasn't even been close to that. So what's he going to regress to is the question. And I don't know what the schedule he's got Houston, Arizona, San Francisco, like San Francisco has been about the best matchup possible. Um, I, I don't know. I could see it. I could see a nice bounce back from him. The other QB I wanted to talk to you about who had underperformed in week 12 was Dak Prescott. And oh. The, 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 I, I want to give him some credit here. I, I, and I, and I can't blame owners for panicking if they own Dak at this point, but I'm still relatively hopeful that he's going to turn it around here down the stretch. The, the Chargers are a legitimately tough matchup. If we throw out week one, they've allowed an average of 11.7 points per game to opposing quarterbacks. And meanwhile, since week two, you know, in that same span, Every team in the NFL has allowed at least one week with 22 or more fantasy points to a quarterback, except for two teams. The only two teams that don't fit that bill are the Jaguars, who have been legit amazing against passers, and the other is the Chargers. The best game that the Jaguars have allowed was just this past week to Blaine friggin' Gabbert, 17.34 points. Since week two, the best game the Chargers have allowed was 17.52 points, and that was Tom Brady in week eight. So, you know, not not like some slouch was putting up a, a huge fantasy point total against them. This is a really tough matchup. Does that give you any, you know, optimism for Dak going forward? That maybe, I mean, because I don't I don't know about you, but with Tyron Smith coming back to the Cowboys in Week 12, I was really optimistic for Dak to at least outperform expectation to some extent to to have a bit of a bounce back and be kind of a like I think I talked about him as a contrarian option on last week's episode. 
and he he was so bad. Like in in that matchup, I'm wondering like, can we take solace in the fact that it was a tough matchup, or do we think that there's something deeper here that's wrong with Dak Prescott? No, nah, Dak's fine. I'm buying Dak. Uh, I think that maybe it's maybe it's just me going out of my way to to make excuses for him because I do like him, but I just feel like this has been a perfect storm of misfortune for him. I mean the the Zeke thing is whatever to me. I really don't think that that has mat- meant much at all. I mean, maybe defenses are, are attacking them differently without Zeke, but I mean, they've basically been the same team running the football. Like Alfred Morris has been fine. Rod Smith has been fine. I, I don't think that's the issue, but Tyron Smith being basically a late scratch before the Falcons game, I think was a complete mess. Obviously, Adrian Claiborne had six sacks in that game. Just completely unreal. Uh, the Eagles have been one of the best defenses all year. Ronald Darby played in that game. He was awesome. He had a pick. You know, and then you mentioned already the Chargers, how they're a tough matchup. Like I just, I just think that this is kind of coming at a bad time. Uh, but now he goes back home against the Redskins on Thursday night, but uh, still a full week because they just played on Thanksgiving. Like I am, I'm, I'm here, here for the DAC news. Like I just feel like this is the big week coming up and, you know, he's going to get back to doing DAC things. Okay, I hope you're right. Like he's he's a guy who's just super fun to root for, and we'll see how it goes. You got anything else on week 12 before we move into our week 13 preview? Uh, I mean, I just think it's really worth noting that, and I don't think that this is an outlier by any means, but the QB one tier this week, you know, littered with late round and undrafted guys. Uh, you know, we still have Monday Night Football to play, like you said, but you know, Keenum, McCown, Wentz, Bortles, Hunley, Kaiser, Goff. They're all in the top 12. So I think that's just, you know, one more kind of, uh, one more reason to wait on quarterback in all formats. Yeah, including 2QB. And I mean, yep. you know this better than anybody that we've been preaching this all season and we'll continue to preach it, I will at least. But it's such a fluid position. There's such a, an inherent floor and an inherent ceiling for all quarterbacks, no matter how bad the matchup, no matter how bad the QB, because you never know how game flow is going to, you know, turn a game sideways and let a, a bad quarterback score multiple touchdowns uh, on the ground, through the air. Like, we've seen Trevor Simeon post huge weeks. We just saw Blaine Gabbert score two rushing touchdowns. Like, th- this stuff is going to continue to happen because these guys touch the ball so much, and that's just how it goes. Thank you for bringing that up. That, I always love talking late around QB on the show, man. That's great. Uh, week 13. Uh, we're going to jump right in. Streamer of the week. Who is the most intriguing guy to you? We're looking for like a low-end QB2 or QB3 type who an owner wouldn't necessarily always start, but this week you're, you're looking at him you know, with those rose-colored lenses, the, uh, the guy who you're, you're more optimistic about than normal. Yeah, so I mean, I think your obvious guys, obviously, are going to be Bortles against the Colts, Hunley against Tampa, which you mentioned, and uh, Eli against Oakland. But, you know, some of those guys, you know, Eli, you probably drafted highly and you know, whatever. I, I don't want to. I want to cheat the listeners here. I'm going to go deep, and I'm going to go with Mitchell Trubisky. Yes. At home against the Niners, uh, coming off a, a really rough spot at Philly. Again, that same really good Philly defense, but at home, his last two home games, he's posted at least 14 and a half points uh, based on ESPN scoring. Uh, the Niners are top five in points allowed to the position. I kind of think that this could be. This is a has a chance to be like the Mitchell Trubisky like signature game as a rookie. He's a good player. 
Man, I, you snaked me on that because I assumed you were either going to take Hunley or Bortles. <laughs> and so I had, I, I mean, Trubisky's great. Like, I mean, I, I honestly don't know if he's going to be that good in this matchup, but the 49ers have allowed the most points to opposing QBs. And all of their games, the Niners, have, have yielded a top 20 quarterback finish. So if you're a quarterback starting against the Niners, you're going to be top 20 in a 10-team 2QB league. That means you're start-worthy, man. And I, I'm curious to see if that trend continues with Trubisky against them because the Niners' rushing defense isn't that good either. Like I I'd be, wouldn't be surprised if we went back to another game where Trubisky has not quite as many attempts as we want to see. Do you have any fear of that? I think it's, I definitely think that that's possible, but I also think that the seven attempt Trubisky game is. Oh, those are gone. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, like that's, like that's kind of over. So I, I mean, I think we're back to like a reasonable floor of like 30 attempts. Like he's had at least 30 in each of his last four games. So, you know, he gets that against the 49ers. I still think he can put together a pretty good, uh, a pretty good game. Yeah, I mean, I guess my concern would be that we might see more of a line where it's, you know, 230 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, or maybe no touchdown, one interception. And, you know, Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen score all the TDs or something like that. And that that would be my one concern with a guy like Trubisky. So because you picked him, I will talk a little bit about Blake Bortles and all the reasons we liked Mariota last week against Indy, they still matter this week with Bortles. And on top of that, Nicole's just lost their top cover corner, uh, Rashawn Melvin. This is just another spot where Bortles is set to perform well. And, you know, he's not a great QB. We know that. But the Colts have been pretty tough to run on this year, which means the teams have to pass against them to some extent. And like we said, you know, every week is potential for these guys to, to throw multiple touchdowns, Trubisky, Bortles included. Um, the one guy who's probably not even necessarily a streamer at this point because he's been so good that I wanted to talk to you about on the potential, you know, outperforming expectations and for week 13 is Case Keenum at Atlanta. And I'm curious what you think about this matchup because Atlanta has been a much better defense at home where they allow an average weekly finish of QB 17.4 and about 14 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. On the road, the Falcons have been much more beatable. They allow an average weekly finish of QB 10.3 and almost 19.5 fantasy points per game. Um, if we look at the Rotoviz Game Splits app, Keenum has actually scored slightly better on the road this season. 21.5 points per game about compared to 18.5 points per game at home. But that's primarily based on touchdown rate, which, like we talked about with Mariota, can be kind of fluky. If you look at Keenum's like yards per game and yards per attempt, they're both lower on the road than they are at home. I, I don't know, man. Like I look at Keenum and I keep expecting the wheels to come off. Now I talked last week about how maybe because of how well the Vikings offensive line is playing, that's just not going to happen. But is it crazy to keep waiting for him to bust? Or I mean, what, what do you think about Keenum? Is it time to? maybe start to hedge our bets against him or are you just, or we, should we just keep riding this? I'm going to keep riding it. I mean, I, I think especially in a dome, uh, Keenum is going to be in pretty good shape. I mean, his, his dome games this year, obviously all his home games have been pretty decent outside of the, you know, the game against Baltimore. Uh, and then you, know, you get him into these, you know, that game against Detroit, again, a dome game. Like, I think that the controlled weather environment is probably good for a player like Keenum who 
doesn't really have the best arm strength, but I mean, he's just been dealing and this Atlanta game has the potential to be high scoring. I know that the Minnesota defense uh, has been, you know, pretty good all year, probably one of the better defenses in the league, but you know, Atlanta can score on pretty much anyone at home. I think that obviously that's going to put more pressure on the Vikings to, to throw the football and Keenum has just been so good. 280 yards or more in the last four games. I don't think I can bench him this week. I mean, I, it's obviously possible that you have better options just because he was a guy you basically picked up off waivers. But if I've been playing him, I'm, I will continue to do so. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think you have to keep starting him despite the fact that this matchup may not look quite as good. And the point you make about you know Keenum on the road in a dome is is excellent as well. Like you think about the types of players that they have, you know, Jarek McKinnon, uh, Stephon Diggs in particular is, is guys who... You know, when you get on that fast track, those are the types of players that, that I want on the field. I, I don't know about you, but um, what do you think about Tyrod Taylor against New England? I teased this a little bit earlier, but I'm a little wary of betting against this Patriots defense because they've come on pretty strong recently. Over the last four games, uh, quarterbacks have finished as QB 21, QB 25, QB 19, and QB 25 again. Average of 11 fantasy points per game allowed in that span. Now, last year, we look at what Tyrod did against the Patriots. He posted about 16 and about 18 points in his two matchups. But that was a different Buffalo team. Which version of Tyrod do you think we're going to get here in Week 13 against the Patriots? I mean, I still think we're going to get good Tyrod. Uh, the, the rushing, for me, is just such a difference maker. I mean, it provides, obviously, the solid floor. Um, but he's been... I guess I can't really say his whole career because it hasn't been that long, but, you know, the, the four games that he's played against the Patriots, you know, he's basically been the same player according to the game splits app. 20.8 points against New England, 20.61 against everybody else. So, uh, obviously that everybody else is going to include uh, some pretty tough defenses also, but I just think that Tyrod is, he's fine. You know, like he's a good player. He's probably pissed off that he got benched and I just think we're going to get his best stuff going forward. I think he knows that he's probably auditioning for his next job, and I think that that matters at least a little bit. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep plugging in Tyrod. Good stuff. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Let's talk about our clipboard holder of the week. This is the QB who we would normally start, but we're going to avoid in week 12. Who is it for you? Uh, for me, it's Ben Roethlisberger, and I think that that's going to be really tough for a lot of fantasy owners. He's coming off two huge performances, uh, four touchdowns apiece each of the last two weeks. Uh, but now he's going on the road uh, for a division game, which we talked about earlier, against Cincinnati. Uh, and the Bengals have allowed 18 or more points to just one quarterback all year, and it was Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field. So uh, this really isn't the same <laughs> situation. I don't think it takes a, a, you know, a, someone who's knowledgeable about football to know that. And I don't know. This just seems like a classic Ben letdown spot. So I will, I will happily leave him on my bench this week. Yep, and I'm going to take the QB from the other side of the game, Andy Dalton, uh, against the Steelers. So we talked about common opponents being an issue for him. Uh, and despite my concerns about the Steelers' defense maybe not being quite as good as, as we thought, I do think they're good enough to handle uh, a player like Andy Dalton. Um, now, if Shazier is out for, for some reason, I, and I still need to – I tried to fi- like find a, a report on him earlier but couldn't come up with anything. Um, so I'll keep an eye on that going forward. Um, so, so Dalton's the guy for me with that said, maybe that's not <laughs> too bold of a call considering the Dalton was kind of a, a low end QB two 
that you that you would have drafted. Um, I, I I also had Ben Roethlisberger on my list. But what do you think about Matthew Stafford going on the road against the Ravens? Because Baltimore has been a very tough matchup for QBs all year. Is Stafford a guy you'd consider benching there, or based upon his track record, are you okay using him? No, I'm definitely okay with benching Stafford. The Ravens have been as close to the Jaguars as it gets mm-hmm. defensively. You know, they gave up a really big game, oddly enough, to Blake Bortles, uh, but that was in London, and that was like 10 weeks ago. So I just don't think that that applies. They've only given up uh, two or more. They've only given up two touching, touchdowns passing to one other quarterback this year, and that was Mariota in Tennessee. I, I just... This is not going to end well, I think, for Stafford. So I will, I'm good with that too. I think that's a good call. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the more correct call as opposed to Dalton, because if you look at, like you said, what Baltimore has done against QBs, you throw out that game against Bortles. The best finish they've allowed is QB 17. The most points they've allowed aside from that game is that QB 17 finish, 15.32. So. Yeah, I mean, they've just been super tough. They've only allowed one top 10 finish, only three top 20 finishes all year. They've held QBs outside the top 24 five separate times. They allowed the second fewest fantasy points, two quarterbacks after Jacksonville. So, yeah, I mean, Stafford's probably your your baseline. But, again, that's so matchup dependent that, I mean, you're basically just banking on Baltimore to keep it up. But, I mean, that's what we have to do, right? Those are the, the numbers we're, we're dealt, and we, we got to deal with those. Anthony, what else are you interested in for Week 13? Um, any other you know games you're excited about? Um, I've been trying to use this part of the show to maybe fish for some DFS recommendations because you know as we get closer to the end of the year, our seasonal teams start to fall out of contention. Maybe we turn more of our our attention to DFS. What what else are you looking at for this week? Yeah, it's obviously early in the week, and I think that. You know, with all the information out there, we don't really ever have a hard time finding the, the good chalk plays, but contrarian play that I'm liking early in the week is Adrian Peterson. I think that his price tag, particularly on DraftKings, is really good. He's 4800 there. Uh, that's down uh, over $1,000 from where it was after he had that big game against the 49ers. Uh, and since then, he's played Seattle, Houston, and Jacksonville. Uh, three pretty tough spots. Uh, so now... We look at the situation, you know, the team just released Andre Ellington. Kerwin Williams got hurt against Jacksonville, uh, you know, and Peterson in that game saw five targets. So maybe now he's starting to see that receiving volume, which I think was really, really difficult uh, to give to him earlier in the year. Uh, if he's going to see those targets, that's obviously going to enhance his floor. And the Rams are 20th in rush DVOA, so they are definitely beatable on the ground. We just saw Alvin Kamara completely completely destroy them obviously i don't think peterson is is that athlete anymore but you know he's still going to be the primary option on first and second down he's probably going to touch the ball 20 or more times you know and if this defense can make some plays against what's been the nfl's hottest offense you know this could be a, a turn back the clock game a little bit for peterson it could be one of those games where he, you know he gets over 100 yards he gets in the end zone he gets a couple catches like i, I think that that's in his range of outcomes so and people almost never play him at this point. So I'm in on AP, I think, earlier in the week. I mean, how many points can he really score if Ricky Seals-Jones is scoring all the touchdowns, though? That, that, that is a really good point. I had not considered that. Maybe a, maybe a Blaine Gabbert stack with a <laughs> RSJ and Adrian Peterson. My gosh. 
Yeah, you mix it up. You either you either go with the the Gabbert RSJ stack or you go with the the AP and and Cardinals defense stack. I think those are. I mean, you, how could you lose? I love it. And there, <laughs> no money can be lost on those plays. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, hey, Anthony, uh, that's all I got. You got anything else before we wrap this thing up? No, that's it, man. I mean, I appreciate you having me back on. I'm hoping that I can I can beat out Sal and get that top spot in terms of appearances all to myself. Well, I'm going to have him back on at some point around the end of the year. And uh, at the very least, I'll have you on early in the offseason so you can catch back up to him. Why don't you let folks know where they can find your work, what you've been working on, um, and how they can hit you up on like Twitter and all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, as always, you can find me on Twitter, at Amixta. My in-season content has all been on Fantasy Insiders. I do a, a weekly recap where I just talk about the five things that we learned from the week before. Uh, and I do a, a waivers piece that comes out usually on uh, Wednesday or Thursday. So uh, keep an eye out for that stuff. That's And then, you know, once the season's over, then we get into into the real fun. Yes, sir. Well, if uh, you have any questions for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. If you want to get, if you want to see what's going on at the site, at 2QBs, uh, 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S, uh, on Twitter, spelled the same way, at 2QBs. And you can email us longer form questions or inquiries, 2QBs at gmail.com. Uh, as always, I'll ask that you rate and review the podcast. That really helps us out in spreading the word. Um, otherwise, you know, good luck in week 13. This is that final push for the fantasy playoffs. And we'll be back again next week to, to get you ready for, for that wild card weekend of fantasy. Uh, looking forward to it. Can't wait to see how things play out. It's, it's almost time for the actual football playoffs. And that's also very exciting. You and I were just talking about that pre-recording here. Do you have, do you have any predictions, uh, for, like playoffs or anything like that, Anthony, before I let you go? Wow. I mean, I, I think, uh, I think Patriots Saints is, is kind of the matchup that we might be in line for in the Super Bowl. That's, that's what I want to see the most, I think. It's going to be a lot of fun. That would be fun. I'm, I'm rooting for that one too. Well, maybe not the Patriots, but I'd like to see the Saints get back. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.